Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. Hello. Hi, is this Dr. Wilson? This is E. Hi, this is Lillian calling from Food Nonfiction. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Things are going well. Fantastic. My name is Brian Wilson, and I'm a professor of comparative religion at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Dr. Wilson is the author of the book titled Dr. John Harvey Kellogg and the Religion of Biologic Living. As the title suggests, this book is not about cornflakes. It's about John Harvey Kellogg and his religious beliefs. Because to truly understand why cornflakes were created, this is the story you need to hear. Lots of people know the story of how cornflakes were created. This is the story of why. I'm originally from California, and before moving out here, I knew very little about the Midwest, except that there were two things I knew. The cars came from Detroit, and the cornflakes came from Battle Creek. Battle Creek, also known as Cereal City, and the breakfast cereal capital of the world. So I knew Battle Creek, which is a little town just uh, east of Kalamazoo, was the place where cornflakes were invented, but I had no idea until I got out here the connection between cornflakes and religion, which is a very interesting story. Let's start from the beginning. On February 26, 1852, John Harvey Kellogg was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his father was a, a farmer uh, and uh, moved his family out from the east in order to find cheap land and, and uh, better living conditions. But eventually he moved his family into the little town of Battle Creek, which was actually a, a mill town. It's, it's formed at the confluence of the Battle Creek and the Kalamazoo Rivers. And there he built a, uh, a broom factory. So he became a small businessman. John Harvey Kellogg's dad was named John Preston Kellogg, and he was one of the early members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Yeah, Seventh-day Adventism actually originated in the early 19th century as an apocalyptic group that believes that the um, second coming of Jesus is going to happen soon. And it developed over time into Seventh-day Adventism, and it actually its origins as an actual denomination are in Battle Creek uh, in 1863. So because his dad was a member of the church, John Harvey Kellogg was too. When he was 12, he apprenticed at a Seventh-day Adventist publishing house. Ellen and James White, the founders of the religion, noticed him and took him under their wings. Soon after, in 1866, Ellen G. White established the Western Health Reform Institute. Yes, well, this is an interesting enterprise. Ellen G. White, who's uh, the prophetess of Seventh-day Adventism, uh, was said to be able to go into a trance and basically receive message from God and his angels. And these messages, which were called in the tradition testimonies, became binding on the members of the church. And they covered all sorts of things from, you know, uh, doctrine to daily life to practice. Ellen had visions of health reform. Basically, these visions said that Seventh-day Adventists, in order to secure their salvation, um, had to take care of their bodies as well as their souls. Uh, and so the idea was that um, Seventh-day Adventists had to, be, had to take care of their health. 
The Western Health Reform Institute was a place for Seventh-day Adventists to take their health into their own hands, following the lifestyle and cures that God had recommended to Ellen G. White herself. Seventh-day Adventists were supposed to eat a vegetarian diet, and if they got ill, they were supposed to use water as a cure-all. This is called hydrotherapy. Back then, they called it hydropathy. So, no regular doctors, no drugs, no surgery, just water and faith. By the way, these weren't new ideas. Hydropathy already existed, and the pure body, pure soul concept also already existed in a movement called Christian physiology. And the idea was similar, that um, you could only have a pure soul and a pure body. And one of the ways to achieve this was through uh, a vegetarian diet and giving up not only meat, but also alcohol and caffeine and all sorts of spices. This idea of Christian physiology actually originated with a Presbyterian minister named uh, Sylvester Graham. And Graham was keen on people to eliminate all these things from their diet and essentially eat a very simple diet that uh, really focused on grain products and especially uh, whole wheat uh, mixed with water and baked into these hard kind of flat crackers. And of course, that's the lineal ancestor of uh, today's Graham crackers. John Harvey's half-brother, Merritt, was one of the doctors at the Institute. Merritt got his MD from a school where it took only six months to get an MD. Merritt convinced Ellen and James White to send more of the Western Health Reform Institute staff to the same school for an education. And John Harvey was one of the people who went. John Harvey had wanted to be a teacher, but after going to this school, he wanted to learn more about medicine. Imagine that, six months isn't enough. He sought a better medical education, and he got it. He was trained at a conventional medical school. In fact, he became a surgeon, and he developed a special interest in gastrointestinal surgery. After graduating, John Harvey returned to Battle Creek to work at the Western Health Reform Institute. He was in his mid-twenties at this point. He took charge very quickly and changed the name of the institute to Battle Creek Sanitarium. And the Battle Creek Sanitarium, uh, under the leadership of John Harvey Kellogg, grew to be probably the most famous kind of health and wellness destination in the United States uh, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It uh, accepted not only Seventh-day Adventists, but also uh, non-Adventists, and, and Kellogg really encouraged kind of a, a wide variety of patients to come to his institution. And it grew to be uh, huge with a, a grand kind of grand hotel, uh, gymnasia, treatment facilities, a hospital. Uh, they had their own farms around the, the property to grow their own foods. And of course, one of the things that John Harvey Kellogg insisted upon uh, for all his patients, whether they're Adventists or not, was that they should eat a vegetarian diet. Unfortunately, there weren't many tasty vegetarian options back then. It was hard to get people to go vegetarian. But this was important to John Harvey Kellogg, who believed that vegetarianism was better for both health and morality. And to him, health and morality were tightly interconnected. Remember that he believed you needed a pure body for a pure soul. So we're going to cover the many reasons why Dr. Kellogg believed vegetarianism was important. 
One reason was that he believed that when you eat animal foods, they rot in your body, leaving substances that are bad for you. And it's not surprising that he would think this. John Harvey knew the disgusting conditions of the slaughterhouses of his day. And if you've seen and smelled rotting meat, why wouldn't you think of it rotting in your stomach? I just need to point out that I find it hilarious that a gastrointestinal specialist would not know about stomach acid, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Second reason, he didn't agree with eating beings that think and feel. And for the third reason, you may want to listen ahead and decide whether or not you want your kids listening with you for this section. Dr. Kellogg felt that sex was unhealthy and that plain foods could curb sexual desires. Let me describe Kellogg's view on sex to explain why he thought it was unhealthy. Basically, Kellogg believed that the human body has a certain amount of vital force. This vital force is necessary for health and can be depleted. For example, too much sexual activity would deplete your vital force. What is too much? Well, he suggested a maximum of one time a month. And of course, masturbation was the worst, because why would you waste your limited vital force on something as unproductive as that? He was so against masturbation that he would even prescribe circumcision without anesthetics and carbolic acid on the clitoris. How do we know his views on diet and sexual desires? Well, Dr. Harvey wrote a book called Plain Facts for Old and Young, and here is an excerpt from the section called Diet versus Chastity. Quote, Exciting stimulants and condiments weaken and irritate his nerves and derange the circulation. Thus, indirectly, they affect the sexual system, which suffers through sympathy with the other organs. But a more direct injury is done. Flesh, condiments, eggs, tea, coffee, chocolate, and all stimulants have a powerful influence directly upon the reproductive organs. They increase the local supply of blood and through nervous sympathy with the brain, the passions are aroused. So yes, John Harvey Kellogg was very driven to get people to eat vegetarian. Since taste was such a barrier to vegetarianism, he set out to create vegetarian options that people would like. It was that drive that led to the creation of cornflakes. As the story goes, John Harvey Kellogg and his brother, Will Keith Kellogg, left some boiled wheat for too long because they had to run off to deal with some emergency. They came back and continued processing the wheat that they had left out for too long and created wheat flakes. Eventually, they also experimented with putting corn through the same process and created cornflakes. But here's a little twist to the story. When you see the name Kellogg's on your box of cereal, it's not actually referring to the Dr. John Harvey Kellogg we've been talking about this whole time. In fact, the founder of the Kellogg Company was John Harvey's brother, Will Keith Kellogg. The company used to be called the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company. It was founded by Will Keith Kellogg after he bought the rights to cornflakes from his older brother in 1906. The two brothers were very different people. Uh, Will K. Kellogg was very much a, an introvert, very quiet, uh, wasn't the kind of go-getter that his brother was. And in fact, W.K. Kellogg was essentially, to some degree, bullied by his older brother, by John Harvey Kellogg. Uh, despite this, W.K. Kellogg uh, became the business manager for the Battle Creek Sanitarium. 
And this was a job he did quite, quite well. He was probably one of the reasons Battle Creek Sanitarium was so financially successful. The older brother, John Harvey, had the great ideas. And the younger brother, Will Keith, had the great business sense. Um, The problem was that even though Will K. Kellogg worked for his brother and essentially made him rich, his brother always treated him with a, a little bit of contempt. And this must have rankled W.K. Kellogg. Um, One of the stories that's often told is that John Harvey Kellogg became very uh, enamored of the new bicycle as it was developed. And so he took to riding a bicycle around the circular drive in front of the Battle Creek Sanitarium. But he never wanted to waste time. And so he had Will K. Kellogg basically trot alongside him, uh, taking dictation, taking memos. And so that's essentially how John Harvey Kellogg uh, treated his brother. Eventually, the brothers disagreed on how to run the flaked cereal business. C.W. Post, who had actually stayed at the sanitarium before, had started a rival business and made a lot of money from it. Will Keith Kellogg knew he could sell more cereals. But his older brother, Dr. Kellogg, was concerned that being viewed as a businessman would discredit him as a doctor. Uh, Eventually, W.K. did break with his brother. It was very bitter. And in fact, they fought over who got to use the Kellogg name uh, on their products. Eventually, W.K. Kellogg won that fight. And so we had the Kellogg Cornflakes Company. It's a little surprising that the younger brother won the right to the Kellogg name. Do you have any idea why that happened? Well, yes, because uh, John Harvey Kellogg was... um, kind of playing games here because uh, originally John Harvey Kellogg was very concerned about his reputation as a doctor. And he was afraid that if his name, John Harvey Kellogg, were used in conjunction with a commercial product, then potentially he might lose his license or be sanctioned by the AMA or things like this. So he was very careful. And in the beginning, uh, even when the, 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 the the breakfast foods were being manufactured and sold through the Battle Creek Sanitarium, um, they typically had W.K. Kellogg's name on it, not John Harvey Kellogg. And so from the beginning, the Kellogg name in terms of cereal was really W.K.'s and not John Harvey's. Um, and it was only after W.K. Kellogg broke from his brother and started up his own Kellogg's Cornflake Company that his brother... John Harvey decided that, uh, no, he really had the right to use the family name. But by this point, Will K. Kellogg really had a very strong case that the brand was based on on him and not on his brother. And eventually the courts basically sided with him and he won the rights to use the Kellogg name. So that's why we have Kellogg's cornflakes today. Bakery, how's it going? Uh... It's good. Been kind of crazy moving. Oh, did I talk about the move the last time? Probably. Maybe. How's your new area? Oh, it's nice. The new area I've moved to is beautiful. There's um, a river that runs right near where I'm at in Coquitlam, British Columbia. And uh, I found a good Thai restaurant and a good Persian bakery. So I'm I'm starting (laughs) to feel at home. Walking distance? No. Oh, no. (laughs) How's living with one dog? I'm living with two dogs and a cat right now. 
and I love them dearly, although the big dog woke me up by slapping me in the face a couple with times his with his paw. Oh. With his paw, he swipes at you. <laughs> I've later found out it's because he wanted to get into bed with me and was telling me to scoot over, but I didn't know how to speak Dexter, so <laughs> now I know Dexter's symbols. How's the cat? Very sweet. She oh. and I play a lot. That's cute. Is it one of the big furry ones or the sort she's of short super, haired? She's short haired and she's super petite. She was the runt of her litter. So she's basically kitten size for life. Not like small kitten size, but, you know, less than a year old kitten size. That's so cute. Yeah, she's really sweet. So for my news, I've been super busy and I've been working on three papers, one of which I really need listener help on. So I'm looking for anyone 18 years old or older who listens to podcasts to do my online survey. So I'm going to read the link out. It's also posted on our Facebook page. So please do it. The link is clab.iat.sfu.ca forward slash podcasts. So you might want to go to the Facebook page to find it because that was a little bit long. Yeah, please definitely help uh, Lillian out with that. We're both really trying to get her through our PhDs. So just trying to get the work done. However you can help out, we would greatly appreciate. Also, if you haven't had the chance, please go rate us on iTunes. We uh, greatly appreciate your feedback. All of your help is appreciated. Thank you. Have a great week, food buffs. Bye. Bye.